0: CHAPTER THREE Mrs. Dashwood remained at Norland several months, not from any disinclination to move when the sight of every well-known spot ceased to raise the violent emotion which it produced for a while. For when her spirits began to revive, and her mind became capable of some other exertion than that of heightening its affliction by melancholy remembrances, she was impatient to be gone, and indefatigable in her inquiries for a suitable dwelling in the neighborhood of norland for to remove far from that beloved spot was impossible but she could hear of no situation that at once answered her notions of comfort and ease and suited the prudence of her eldest daughter whose steadier judgment rejected several houses as too large for their income which her mother would have approved Mrs. Dashwood had been informed by her husband of the solemn promise on the part of his son in their favor, which gave comfort to his last earthly reflections. She doubted the sincerity of this assurance no more than he had doubted it himself, and she thought of it for her daughter's sake with satisfaction, though, as for herself, she was persuaded that a much smaller provision than seven thousand would support her in affluence." For their brother's sake, too, for the sake of his own heart, she rejoiced, and she reproached herself for being unjust to his merit before, in believing him incapable of generosity. His attentive behavior to herself and his sister's convinced her that their welfare was dear to him, and for a long time she firmly relied on the liberality of his intentions.' The contempt which she had very early in their acquaintance felt for her daughter-in-law was very much increased by the farther knowledge of her character, which half a year's residence in her family afforded, and perhaps, in spite of every consideration of politeness or maternal affection on the side of the former, the two ladies might have found it impossible to have lived together so long. Had not a particular circumstance occurred... "'to give still greater eligibility, "'according to the opinions of Mrs. Dashwood, "'to her daughter's continuance at Norland. "'This circumstance was a growing attachment "'between her eldest girl "'and the brother of Mrs. John Dashwood, "'a gentlemanlike and pleasing young man "'who was introduced to their acquaintance "'soon after his sister's establishment at Norland, "'and who had since spent the greatest part of his time there.' Some mothers might have encouraged the intimacy from motives of interest, for Edward Farrow's was the eldest son of a man who had died very rich, and some might have repressed it from motives of prudence, for, except a trifling sum, the whole of his fortune depended on the will of his mother. But Mrs. Dashwood was alike uninfluenced by either consideration. It was enough for her that he appeared to be amiable, that he loved her daughter, "'and that Eleanor returned to the partiality. "'It was contrary to every doctrine of hers "'that difference of fortune should keep any couple asunder "'who were attracted by resemblance of disposition, "'and that Eleanor's merit should not be acknowledged "'by every one who knew her, "'was to her comprehension impossible. "'Edward Farrows was not recommended to their good opinion "'by any peculiar graces of person or address. "'He was not handsome,' and his manners required intimacy to make them pleasing. He was too diffident to do justice to himself. But when his natural shyness was overcome, his behavior gave every indication of an open, affectionate heart. His understanding was good, and his education had given it solid improvement. But he was neither fitted by abilities nor disposition to answer the wishes of his mother and sister who longed to see him distinguished as they hardly knew what. They wanted him to make a fine figure in the world in some manner or other. His mother wished to interest him in political concerns, to get him into Parliament, or to see him connected with some of the great men of the day. Mrs. John Dashwood wished it likewise. But in the meanwhile, till one of these superior blessings could be attained, it would have quieted her ambition to see him driving a barouche, Edward had no turn for great men or barouches. All his wishes centered in domestic comfort and the quiet of private life. Fortunately, he had a younger brother who was more promising. Edward had been staying several weeks in the house before he engaged much of Mrs. Dashwood's attention, for she was at that time in such affliction as rendered her careless of surrounding objects. She saw only that he was quiet and unobtrusive, "'and she liked him for it. "'He did not disturb the wretchedness of her mind "'by ill-timed conversation. "'She was first called to observe and approve him farther, "'by a reflection which Eleanor chanced one day "'to make on the difference between him and his sister. "'It was a contrast which recommended him "'most forcibly to her mother. "'It is enough,' said she, "'to say that he is unlike Fanny, is enough. "'It implies everything amiable,' "'I love him already.' "'I think you will like him,' said Eleanor, "'when you know more of him.' "'Like him,' replied her mother with a smile. "'I feel no sentiment or approbation "'inferior to love.' "'You may esteem him. "'I have never yet known "'what it is to separate esteem and love.' "'Mrs. Dashwood now took pains "'to get acquainted with him. "'Her manners were attaching "'and soon banished his reserve.' she speedily comprehended all his merits. The persuasion of his regard for Eleanor perhaps assisted her penetration, but she really felt assured of his worth. And even that quietness of manner, which militated against all her established ideas of what a young man's address ought to be, was no longer uninteresting when she knew his heart to be warm and his temper affectionate. "'No sooner did she perceive any symptom of love "'in his behavior to Eleanor "'than she considered their serious attachment as certain "'and looked forward to their marriage as rapidly approaching. "'In a few months, my dear Marianne,' said she, "'Eleanor will, in all probability, be settled for life. "'We shall miss her, but she will be happy. "'Oh, mamma, how shall we do without her? "'My love, it will be scarcely a separation.' We shall live within a few miles of each other and shall meet every day of our lives. You will gain a brother, a real affectionate brother. I have the highest opinion in the world of Edward's heart. But you look grave, Marianne. Do you disapprove your sister's choice?' "'Perhaps,' said Marianne, "'I may consider it with some surprise. Edward is very amiable, and I love him tenderly. But yet,' He is not the kind of young man. There is something wanting. His figure is not striking. It has none of that grace which I should expect in the man who could seriously attach my sister. His eyes want all that spirit, that fire, which at once announced virtue and intelligence. And besides all this, I am afraid, mamma, he has no real taste. Music seems scarcely to attract him. And though he admires Eleanor's drawings very much... "'it is not the admiration of a person "'who could understand their worth. "'It is evident, in spite of his frequent attention "'to her while she draws, "'that in fact he knows nothing of the matter. "'He admires as a lover, not as a connoisseur. "'To satisfy me, those characters must be united. "'I could not be happy with a man "'whose taste did not in every point coincide with my own. "'He must enter into all my feelings. "'The same books, the same music must charm us both.' "'Oh, Mama, how spiritless, how tame was Edward's manner "'in reading to us last night. "'I felt for my sister most severely. "'Yet she bore it with so much composure "'she seemed scarcely to notice it. "'I could hardly keep my seat. "'To hear those beautiful lines, "'which have frequently almost driven me wild, "'pronounced with such impenetrable calmness, "'such dreadful indifference.' "'He would certainly have done more justice to simple and elegant prose. "'I thought so at the time. "'But you would give him Cowper. "'Nay, mamma, if he is not to be animated by Cowper. "'But we must allow for difference of taste. "'Eleanor has not my feelings, "'and therefore she may overlook it and be happy with him. "'But it would have broke my heart, had I loved him, "'to hear him read with so little sensibility.' Mamma, the more I know of the world, the more I am convinced that I shall never see a man whom I can really love. I require so much. He must have all of Edward's virtues, and his person and manners must ornament his goodness with every possible charm. Remember, my love, that you are not seventeen. It is yet too early in life to despair of such a happiness. Why should you be less fortunate than your mother? In one circumstance only, my Marianne, May your destiny be different from hers. Chapter 4 "'What a pity it is, Eleanor,' said Marianne, "'that Edward should have no taste for drawing.' "'No taste for drawing,' replied Eleanor. "'Why should you think so? "'He does not draw himself, indeed, "'but he has great pleasure in seeing the performances of other people, "'and I assure you he is by no means deficient in natural taste.' Though he has not had opportunities of improving it. Had he ever been in the way of learning, I think he would have drawn very well. He distrusts his own judgment in such matters so much, that he is always unwilling to give his opinion on any picture; but he has an innate propriety and simplicity of taste which, in general, direct him perfectly right. Marianne was afraid of offending, and said no more on the subject. "'but the kind of approbation which Eleanor described "'as excited in him by the drawings of other people "'was very far from that rapturous delight "'which, in her opinion, could alone be called taste. "'Yet, though smiling within herself at the mistake, "'she honoured her sister for that blind partiality to Edward "'which produced it. "'I hope, Marianne,' continued Eleanor, "'you do not consider him as deficient in general taste.' Indeed, I think I may say that you cannot, for your behavior to him is perfectly cordial, and if that were your opinion, I am sure you could never be civil to him. Marianne hardly knew what to say. She would not wound the feelings of her sister on any account, and yet to say what she did not believe was impossible. At length she replied, do not be offended, Eleanor, if my praise of him is not in everything equal to your sense of his merits. I have not had so many opportunities of estimating the minuter propensities of his mind, his inclination and tastes, as you have. But I have the highest opinion in the world of his goodness and sense. I think him everything that is worthy and amiable. I am sure, replied Eleanor with a smile, that his dearest friends could not be dissatisfied with such commendation as that. I do not perceive how you could express yourself more warmly. Marianne was rejoiced to find her sister so easily pleased. Of his sense and his goodness, continued Eleanor, no one can, I think, be in doubt who has seen him often enough to engage him in unreserved conversation. The excellence of his understanding and his principles can be concealed only by that shyness which too often keeps him silent. You know enough of him to do justice to his solid worth. But of his minuter propensities, as you call them, you have from peculiar circumstances been kept more ignorant than myself. He and I have been at times thrown a good deal together, while you have been wholly engrossed on the most affectionate principle by my mother. I have seen a great deal of him, have studied his sentiments and heard his opinion on subjects of literature and taste. And upon the whole, I venture to pronounce that his mind is well-informed, enjoyment of books exceedingly great, his imagination lively, his observation just and correct, and his taste delicate and pure. His abilities, in every respect, improve as much upon acquaintance as his manners in person. At first sight, his address is certainly not striking— and his person can hardly be called handsome, till the expression of his eyes, which are uncommonly good, and the general sweetness of his countenance, is perceived. At present I know him so well that I think him really handsome, or at least almost so. What say you, Marianne? I shall very soon think him handsome, Eleanor, if I do not now. When you tell me to love him as a brother... I shall no more see imperfection in his face than I now do in his heart. Eleanor started at this declaration and was sorry for the warmth she had betrayed in speaking of him. She felt that Edward stood very high in her opinion. She believed the regard to be mutual. But she required greater certainty of it to make Marianne's conviction of their attachment agreeable to her She knew that what Marianne and her mother conjectured one moment, they believed the next, that with them, to wish was to hope, and to hope was to expect. She tried to explain the real state of the case to her sister. "'I do not attempt to deny,' said she, "'that I think very highly of him, "'that I greatly esteem, "'that I like him.' Marianne here burst forth with indignation. "'Esteem him, like him,' "'Cold-hearted Eleanor! A worse than cold-hearted! "'Ashamed of being otherwise! those words again, and I will leave the room this moment!' "'Eleanor could not help laughing. "'Excuse me,' said she, "'and be assured that I meant no offence to you "'by speaking in so quiet a way of my own feelings. "'Believe them to be stronger than I have declared. "'Believe them, in short, to be such as his merit, "'and the suspicion... "'the hope of his affection for me may warrant "'without imprudence or folly. "'But farther than this you must not believe. "'I am by no means assured of his regard for me. "'There are moments when the extent of it seems doubtful. "'Until his sentiments are fully known, "'you cannot wonder at my wishing to avoid any encouragement "'of my own partiality "'by believing or calling it more than it is. "'In my heart I feel little,' "'scarcely any doubt of his preference. "'But there are other points to be considered besides his inclination. "'He is very far from being independent. "'What his mother really is we cannot know. "'But from Fanny's occasional mention of her conduct and opinions, "'we have never been disposed to think her amiable. "'And I am very much mistaken, if Edward is not himself aware, "'that there would be many difficulties in his way,' if he were to wish to marry a woman who had not either a great fortune or high rank. Marianne was astonished to find how much the imagination of her mother and herself had outstripped the truth. "'And you really are not engaged to him,' said she. "'Yet it certainly soon will happen. "'But two advantages will proceed from this delay. "'I shall not lose you so soon.' and Edward will have greater opportunity of improving that natural taste for your favorite pursuit, which must be so indispensably necessary to your future felicity. Oh, if he should be so far stimulated by your genius as to learn to draw himself, how delightful it would be. Eleanor had given her real opinion to her sister. She could not consider her partiality for Edward in so prosperous a state as Marianne had believed it. There was, at times, a want of spirits about him, which, if it did not denote indifference, spoke of something almost as unpromising. A doubt of her regard, supposing him to feel it, need not give him more than inquietude. It would not be likely to produce that dejection of mind which frequently attended him. A more reasonable cause might be found in the dependent situation which forbade the indulgence of his affection." She knew that his mother neither behaved to him so as to make his home comfortable at present, nor to give him any assurance that he might form a home for himself, without strictly attending to her views for his aggrandizement. With such a knowledge as this, it was impossible for Eleanor to feel easy on the subject. She was far from depending on that result of his preference of her, which her mother and her sister still considered as certain. Nay. The longer they were together, the more doubtful seemed the nature of his regard, and sometimes, for a few painful minutes, she believed it to be no more than friendship. But whatever might really be its limits, it was enough, when perceived by his sister, to make her uneasy, and at the same time, which was still more common, to make her uncivil. She took the first opportunity of affronting her mother-in-law on the occasion— talking to her so expressively of her brother's great expectations, of Mrs. Farrow's resolution that both her sons should marry well, and of the danger attending any young woman who attempted to draw him in, that Mrs. Dashwood could neither pretend to be unconscious nor endeavor to be calm. She gave her an answer which marked her contempt, and instantly left the room, resolving that, whatever might be the inconvenience or expense of so sudden a removal, her beloved Eleanor should not be exposed another week to such insinuations. In this state of her spirits, a letter was delivered to her from the post, which contained a proposal particularly well-timed. It was the offer of a small house, on very easy terms, belonging to a relation of her own, a gentleman of consequence and property in Devonshire, the letter was from this gentleman himself, and written in the true spirit of friendly accommodation. He understood that she was in need of a dwelling, and though the house he now offered her was merely a cottage, he assured her that everything should be done to it which she might think necessary, if the situation pleased her. He earnestly pressed her, after giving the particulars of the house and garden, to come with her daughters to Barton Park, the place of his own residence, from whence she might judge herself whether Barton Cottage, for the houses were in the same parish, would by any alteration be made comfortable to her. He seemed really anxious to accommodate them, and the whole of his letter was written in so friendly a style as could not fail of giving pleasure to his cousin, more especially at a moment when she was suffering under the cold and unfeeling behavior of her nearer connections. She needed no time for deliberation or inquiry, Her resolution was formed as she read. The situation of Barton, in a county so far distant from Sussex as Devonshire, which, but a few hours before, would have been a sufficient objection to outweigh every possible advantage belonging to the place, was now its first recommendation. To quit the neighborhood of Norland was no longer an evil. It was an object of desire, "'it was a blessing in comparison of the misery "'of continuing her daughter-in-law's guest. "'And to remove forever from that beloved place "'would be less painful than to inhabit or visit it "'while such a woman was its mistress. "'She instantly wrote Sir John Middleton "'her acknowledgement of his kindness "'and her acceptance of his proposal, "'and then hastened to show both letters to her daughters "'that she might be secure of their approbation "'before her answer was sent.' Eleanor had always thought it would be more prudent for them to settle at some distance from Norland than immediately amongst their present acquaintance. On that head, therefore, it was not for her to oppose her mother's intention of removing into Devonshire. The house, too, as described by Sir John, was on so simple a scale, and the rent so uncommonly moderate, as to leave her no right of objection on either point. And therefore... Though it was not a plan which brought any charm to her fancy, though it was a removal from the vicinity of Norland, beyond her wishes, she made no attempt to dissuade her mother from sending a letter of acquiescence. Phoebe Reads a Mystery is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC.